The second half of chapter 11 gets to the conversation that was teased earlier between Princess Anna Drubetskaya and Countess Natasha Rostov. This was teased earlier before Vera was asked to leave, and I did a little bit of an exploration of her as Vera is a minor character, but still a Rostov child that's not mentioned so prominently throughout the rest of the novel. Countess Rostov starts the conversation where the two are seated next to each other rather closely by noting how her life isn't really all roses, when in fact, it's pretty good. She's in effect responding to Anna's obvious situation known to all, that her best days are behind her, and that she's hustling in any way she can for Boris. Countess Rostov appears to be complaining about household-related expenses and her husband spending money like it's going out of style. She claims if they go on like this, we won't last. And she notes how expensive even their summer excursions to the country are because it requires taking a flock of servants with them and, in a sense, their monumental efforts. This is, in fact, a foreshadowing to a country hunt, which will take place in the middle of the novel and provides a really rich slice of life during peacetime on what such a hunt was and the role everybody had to play, from servants and serfs to the property owners on horseback. It is quite an idyllic exposition of the time that does a remarkable job contrasting with the descriptions of war which surround it. It's somewhat nostalgic and a window into history, even for the writer Tolstoy, who was writing about such hunts 60 or 70 years after they were likely prominent. So, Countess Rostov is blaming or complaining about her husband for his easygoing and spendthrift nature. She then feels she's going on about herself for a little bit too long, so she turns her focus on her friend Anna. She pays her a compliment, noting that the Countess marvels how Anna manages her very difficult affairs. She points out how she knows that Anna's willing to go place to place, this one to that one, Moscow to St. Petersburg, alone in carriage after carriage. It's a lot harder than transferring trains or subways in today's traveling environment, or buying a ticket and boarding an airplane even with its attendant delays. But the Countess does admire how if Anna wants to see someone who's high in government, she persists. She writes whatever letters are necessary. She meets them wherever they'll be. She gets access any way she can because Anna is still able to trade off in some respect on her family name. So Anna is tolerated, so she pushes that to the max. She has the ferocity and strength of maybe one of the great mothers in literature. In fact, she's a lot more successful than the overwhelming majority of male characters in having a plan, setting out to effectuate it, and meeting her desired goal. Anna responds to the Countess by saying, Ah, my love, God grant you never know the travails of a helpless widow with a son you are devoted to above all and love to a distraction. Here she references some type of lawsuit that is tying up her finances from the context, it seems like it's some type of long-lasting surrogate's battle over her deceased husband's estate. She acknowledges that she does what she must to get by. She writes, she presses, she gets an audience, she has persistence. That's her lot, and she accepts it with a dignity. She won't let any notion of shame get in the way. And then the Countess asks the obvious. She says, well, tell me, who helped you with Boris? And here's the dynamic. 
Princess Anna was able to not take no for an answer and get her son a position in the Imperial Guard, which is quite prestigious. You could think of it as the equivalent of getting into West Point or the Naval Academy today, as opposed to generally enlisting. Countess Rostov concedes that her son is joining the cadets, that general infantry of pretty much the army. What a juxtaposition this is. Now, from the writer's perspective, Tolstoy has Nikolai and the cadets, so you could experience the life of a cadet in the great wars to come through one of the main characters, while we really don't hear much of Boris in the Imperial Guard. He's there, but he's a secondary character. Anna acknowledged it was Prince Vasily who was able to get the accommodation. And then Countess Rostov goes into reminiscing about their old friendship, and she remembers Vasily as a handsome young man from their earlier years, and they even acted together in some type of theatrical production. Anna then does something quite skillful. It's the art of asking for something without asking. She notes, I'm doing what I can, all of it, but even with that, I have to pay for his uniform and supplies to give him a proper send-off and that she's in such a dreadful position. And she adds how much this will all cost, which is 500 rubles, which was likely a lot. Her current treasury amounts to a 25-ruble note, so she's 475 short. She steers the conversation so it doesn't appear that Anna is asking Countess Rostov for the remaining sum, but notes that Boris has a godfather, the man on his deathbed, Count Kirill Bezukhov, and that that's who she's going to see. Anna explicitly points out, he is my only hope, emphasizing that she expects nothing from the Rostovs. Anna's eyes are even filled with tears, and she goes on to relay that she might not be able to do it without Count Bezikov's help. She then comments on the irony that she sees before her, that here Count Kirill is with all his wealth, no place to use it, on death's door, and there's her son, her Boris, just getting started in life, but he needs some type of fire charge to get him going. And she doesn't see where that's coming from at this point. She hopes aloud that her son is remembered in his godfather's will. On a note, she's going to tell her son of the situation and that they're both going to go to Count Kirill's house and make a deathbed appeal. Anna doesn't want to overstay her welcome, not even for a minute. So she rises, says her goodbyes, and starts to leave. When you're not in the position of power, Anna realizes that it's always better to leave before the person in power decides it's time for the conversation to end. She parts with Countess Rostov by asking the Countess to wish her some luck. But she then bumps into Count Rostov, who's always affable, who learns where Anna is going. It's not clear if he knows why, but he knows she's going over there. He tells her, if you find Pierre over there, please tell him to come over here to dine. He notes how joyful it was in days gone by to have Pierre over. Pierre always loved to play and dance with the children, and Count Rostov would like such a reunion. And off Anna goes into the night on her next mission.